This is Colossus, and you are listening to The High Regard Show. The High Regard Show. It's... What's up, hoes? Check out The High Regard Show. New episodes every Monday. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is the High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, it don't get better than that. No, sir. Hello doesn't. everyone and welcome to the show. Hi everybody. Oh, well done, Nikki. <laughs> Nikki's working on her microphone skills again this week. And there was a big long sigh before we got started. Because I hope you heard it. I think you might have turned the recorder on some because it, it, it's just a matter of talking Tom, to nobody the microphone cares. it's not an issue nobody cares like just what you have to, to say i am i'm clearly talking right now into the microphone nobody cares and yet the masses still tune in week after week i know and thank you for that yes thank you so much for that they probably want to hear me like misdial a phone the funny thing is out of all of this we can have 10,000 people or more listen to the show on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. and yet, when we talk to each other, neither of the, neither one of us really listen to each other. What? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, though, right? It is weird, I guess. All right. It's like a one-way conversation. You must kind of love it. Like when you come home and you're rambling at 100 miles an hour about what's happening in the outside world, and I'm like, the blinds are closed for a reason. <laughs> Well, you've become quite the recluse. I really am, and I actually used that word today Did with you? people from work. Yeah, you became you're you're like a real Charles Foster Kane. Yes, without the money, without the Xanadu. I don't even own a sled. <laughs> <laughs> Christ's sakes! <laughs> I rent an apartment. Crying out loud! You can have a sled in an apartment. Like you don't have to own a home to have a sled. No, but where are you going to put one in this apartment? Get rid of your drone, and then we could get one. Never. I will <laughs> never get rid of that drone. I cannot wait to fly it. Well, there you have it. So we have an interview this week. We do. We have a very long but good interview. Well, well, well. And it was me, not you for once. It's always you. No, it's not, because like our longest interviews have always been you. Oh. And everybody knows it, because Tom likes his tangents. I guess people just like talking to me more than they like talking to you. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe I just get down to the business. All right. Well, then why don't you get down to the business and do uh, You Heard? That sounds fine to me, and I'm only doing it because I want to, not because you told me to. You Heard? Asked you. <laughs> Thanks. This week's you heard comes to us from Central Park West and 63rd Street. It's a cerebral art club. Their whole thing is thought. What is? Is this a David Lynch thing? What do you mean? Is it a David Lynch thing? Because I feel like that's something that David Lynch would like put together. Like you would like walk into like, like a, a cerebral gallery art and it's just club, an empty room, and then he's just like. 
I hear the most pretentious things when I walk upon Central Park West. Like I, as soon as I hit Columbus Circle, I always take my earphones out because I know that if I'm going to pass people, like I'm going to hear some pretty crazy shit. I'm wondering if it's different on the east side because there's just as many museums on the east side as there is on the west side. Maybe. Maybe it's a little more laid back on the east side. Well, maybe not because I, I mean know, it was 63rd. Man. So like all the fancy places are like around there. So mm. Maybe. Yes. Well, there you have it. And that's this week's You Heard. And this week's You Heard kind of, you know, it ties into this week's interview. Why? Because I spoke to an artiste. Uh, Aside from me. Aside from you. No. You are not the only artiste that I run in circles with, Tom. (laughs) <laughs> Wait, you're running in circles now? I am, I am. Where are you running in circles? Wait, let me do this. Where are you running uh, in circles? Well, mostly in my head. Yes, I could see that. <laughs> but this week, I actually interviewed an artiste, a multimedia artiste named Marshall Arisman, mm-hmm. and he has done so many things in the course of his 45-year career. He designed the cover for um, Brett Easton Ellis's American Psycho, which went on to become, you know, a cult movie and then a play that we were lucky enough to see two days before it closed. Oh, heartbreaking. I know, it was, it was. And we are, we were haunted by the show. But, you know, he did the covers for that. He did covers for um, U.S. News and World Report, a co- cover about Hitler. He He's done, like, he does oil paintings and he does them by hand which is so interesting to me like he you just, mean with his fingers with his fingers like yeah, yeah, he gets yeah. in there all nice and deep black brushes like yeah like yeah. he just felt that he wasn't being creative so he started using his hands which you know he's going to tell us more about that when we roll the bean footage yeah. but did you tell him about your fear of touching things like chicken <laughs> no i didn't while he's him. making art with his hands and you're like oh I won't t- no, did you make that sound at any point? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I did think of like I immediately found myself looking at his hands, <sighs> and they're perfectly clean. Like, and well, you could still wash your well, hands. I understand that, but like you know, like I know when I used to draw a lot and stuff, like it would take a long time when I would do like pencil sketches and everything, like. I would constantly have pens, pencil like in my hand and like because I'm left-handed it's all like it used to get on like the fat of like whatever this part of your hand is called the fat part right here the fat part like the lower your, palm the, like the bottom the side of your, of wrist. your palm like yeah yeah like the, the side of your palm and I would get like ink on that and the, it would just be like it, it would just stay there forever so like I immediately looked at his hands because I was expecting like you know paint like under his nails and stuff and it wasn't like that well I mean I think the important thing is for a successful artist at least like myself is to have a <laughs> scouring boy on hand at all times <laughs> so if you know you get a little paint on your hand or if you get something you know like uh lead on your hands he comes in and he just kind of like scrubs it down scrubs it down kind of like, like a guy like with um you know a shoe shiner but, shoe shiner. but, for, but for the side of your hands so may- maybe marshall i mean he he is he's successful he's pretty he's pretty you know well known so i mean you know and he also did he also <laughs> shares a story about darth vader which was really cool like he did a painting he did um a cover of 
Time, I think it was. Yeah, for yep. Time. He did a cover of Time for Dar- with Darth Vader. And it was such a neat story that, you know, made it into the interview. So, but anyway, I didn't just happen upon him and be like, oh, let me interview you. We oh. actually, there was, there's actually a rhyme and a reason to my interview with Marshall. He is having a career retrospective at SVA where he runs the MFA program. And has been teaching forever. For 52 years, he's been at M- <laughs> he's been at, um, at SVA and he started I believe in the early 80s he started this MFA program so like this was his brainchild and like he's just I can only imagine like just after interviewing him like how amazing he must be as a teacher because he was just so cool to talk to but anyway so he's having a career retrospective at SVA um, at the SVA Chelsea Gallery um, in New York at 601 West 26th Street and that's going to start on, that actually is going to run through September 16th. And it's called Marshall Arisman, An Artist's Journey from Dark to Light. And it's really interesting how he kind of goes from these dark things into light and enlightenment. And this interview tells the tale of how he does that. Well, why don't we go on? No, you could say it. You could it's say okay, it. It's okay, because I already said it once. All right. Well, then we'll just roll the bean footage. <laughs> So, you know, with um, It's a Good and Evil Spectrum, you know, an artist's journey from dark to light seems extremely poignant right now. Was that intentional? Fortunately. <laughs> no, but it wasn't. Well, it's very interesting. I did a series about guns in 1972. It's not out of date. Yeah. I did a series on the atomic bomb. It's not happening. No. I wish it was. Right, absolutely. It's sad. Yeah. Things are not. Things are worse. Yeah. I mean, they really are. We all know. We're on the brink of something not very good. No, absolutely not. And I mean, this weekend just shows us just how close we are to (laughs) something bad. (laughs) Um, How many works are included in in this? Oh, good question. I think I. Too many. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, the gallery is 4,000 square feet. Oh, wow. And okay. so <clears throat> it's big enough so I thought I could do a retrospective or something. Right. right. And I suppose of some interest is the fact that I've done a lot of work for magazines mm-hmm. and I do a lot of work for myself. So right. I've seemed to walk that funny line <laughs> between quotes commercial art and quotes fine right, art. Right, right. Um, so the gallery is a mix of uh, the printed stuff and the big paintings and the sculptures. I've right. Done. Probably too much. <laughs> <laughs> was it hard for you to, you know, how did you choose them? Was Did you have a goal in mind? Well, luckily I have a curator. Okay. Uh, I knew I needed somebody to hold me down. (laughs) Looking back for any of us doing anything is daunting. Right. I mean, and it's difficult to do it without evaluating it. Right. I mean, the nice part of it is to see the work as a whole and not in fragments. So the fun for me of the exhibition is really that all those different pieces I've done for God knows how many years (laughs) Just a couple. <laughs> become a whole to look at. Right. And my hope is that uh, outside of the 
dark work I've done, that there are other components that are more spiritual, for right. lack of a better word. Right. I mean, um, I grew up in rural upstate New York, mm-hmm. and I was surrounded by deer hunters and guns. Right. And so I did a whole series on guns that got me into a lot of publication work mm-hmm. and whatever. But my grandmother was a spiritualist medium, right. and that came later. I didn't know it quite what to do with her. Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, it's funny, she is from a town called Lilydale, yes. which is 500 miles from here, and you have to be a spiritualist, quote, medium to buy a house there. Right. So everyone in this little village is a medium. And so I spent my childhood every Sunday going to see my grandmother. Right, right. So I've been surrounded by mystics and mediums my whole life. Right. And last summer they invited me to do a talk on painting and seeing auras. And it was very funny because I got up there and I said to the audience, uh, how many people out there see auras? More than half of them. I could go home. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't, uh, so it was a part of my life that I didn't know how to do visually for a long time. Right. And I had done so much work on violence and death and destruction. Sure. And there was a point when I thought, I have dug a very dark tunnel. Yeah. And it's getting really dark down here. <laughs> sure. And I need to come out of the storm. Right. And I started seeing auras in 1979 on an Indian teacher named Krishnamurti and that somehow, he was on the stage of Carnegie Hall, I was listening to him. I began to see a white light around him, the white light turned to gold. And I thought I was hallucinating. Right. I didn't. I, my eyes were going. <laughs> and then I could hear my grandmother say, "One day you're going to see auras." And in that experience, I realized that all auras are are light. They're the energy that's in everybody. Right. It's not a religious concept, right. even though, for most people, the only time they see a painting of an aura. It's in a religious context, mm-hmm. Christ or Buddha or Allah, whatever. Right. Um, not Allah. You can't make a picture. <laughs> but at any rate, um, and that started generating a lighter part of my work, right. I mean, at least in my brain. Um, and my grandmother said to me every Sunday as a teenager, you have to learn to stand in the space between angels and demons. And so, four years ago, I thought it would be fun for me to paint a bunch of angels and put them on one wall in my studio, and paint a bunch of demons and put those on the other wall, and stand in the middle and think about my grandmother, which is what I did. Right. And so. 
in the exhibition we've made a quote cave it's a passageway you have to walk through and on one side are angels and the other side <laughs> so I think all I'm really doing is recreating my childhood right. I, I think um, Flannery O'Connor said anyone lucky enough to survive childhood in America has more than enough to write or paint about for the rest of their life. Absolutely. And That's so, so true. I think what I'm drawing <laughs> on here is that. When right. I look back at the guns and I look back at the mysticism and I look back at it, it was all rooted in there. Right, right. And uh, I think like most artists, uh, the difficulty is what to paint, what to photograph. Right. And you know, you said that you cut, you know, you're kind of trying to recapture childhood, you know, what is your first, make? your grandmother was so important to yeah. kind of like informing your work, right. you know, what is the first memory that you have of her and like that life at Lilydale? She was a wonderful artist outside of being two times. <laughs> she told Lucille Ball's fortune. Okay. <laughs> Lucille Ball was thrown out of drama school in New York when she was 18, went back to Jamestown, which is my hometown and went to see my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother said, you're going to meet and marry a Cuban band leader, and you are going to be the most famous comedian of oh all time. Oh my gosh, and she, I was, mean. and she was. So <laughs> that was like, what? <laughs> That's on one part. Yeah. I mean, the other part was her house was full of her paintings, and she painted on vases, and she painted on plates, mm -hmm. and she painted whatever. But my earliest memory of that part of it was, she handed me a painting, which I still have, I don't have it here, but, and she said to me, put your hand on this painting. And I put my hand on it, I was, I was probably 12, <laughs> and she said, you feel anything? And I said, heat, it's, it's hot. Yeah. And she said, exactly. She said, the energy you're going to put into something stays there. Not just art, but particularly in art. Um, do you have a favorite piece in the exhibit? Like, is there like one that just <coughs> holds dear to you? No, it's funny about that. I, I, well, again, too long a story. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in Pratt, David Smith, a famous sculptor, came to talk. And he said to us, we're not going to talk about work today, artwork. I, I'm not going to talk about your work. I don't want to hear what you have to say about <laughs> my work. What we are going to do is tell stories that surround the art. Okay. What happened when you painted this? What happened to it? What, what, right. what were you thinking? Whatever, whatever. And he said, the way we're going to do this, we're leaving this classroom. We're going to my favorite bar in the Brooklyn Navy Yard and we're going to tell each other stories. <laughs> so to answer your question, I, my favorite piece is, I, I can't even see the art anymore. I look at the piece and I remember the story. The story. It, so yeah. my favorite pieces are, are pieces that generated these stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did a cover of Darth Vader in 1980. <laughs> They called me up and said, there's a new movie, there's a character in it that looks a little like your paintings. And we don't know if it's an insult 
to ask you to paint a portrait of him. Oh my God. His name is Darth Vader. And I said, uh, you know, that's funny. Send it to me. So they sent me the photograph, and with time coverage, you got a weekend to do it right. in 1980. And so I did, and I thought it was, a, it was fun. So as, unlike my usual thing of doing something that's 30 inches by 20 inches, I did a four foot by five foot canvas of Darth Vader. And I wasn't happy with it, so I did another one. So they printed the second one, and I had the other five-foot painting. Mm -hmm. And I got a letter from a kid in my hometown with a Polaroid of him in Darth Vader pajamas and Darth Vader sheets. <laughs> with a scrawl note that said, if you have a little sketch or something, I would love it. I sent him the painting. Oh my now, gosh! And last year I got an email from him and a photograph, he's grown up now, <laughs> of him next to the painting and his dead. Oh that was great. Gosh. So when I look at that piece, that's what I, does that make sense? I mean, yeah. It mounts his stories off. Sure, right? yeah. And so, uh, it, I would, I know, I suppose it comes down to my favorite story, and I don't really have one. So, you know, what is your process? You know, is, is art something that you make on a daily basis, you know, is it something that you do? Yeah, I don't, I, in the chair of a graduate program at the School of Visual Arts, mm -hmm. and I'm there two days a week, which is really good for me yeah. to be not in here every day. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, I'm a workaholic, and if left to my own devices, and if I wasn't married, I'd be a hermit. I would see no. This would be your home. It would be my home. I would never come out. Right? So, and I don't have to do that during the summer. So, what's kind of interesting to me is I get more done when I don't have two days a week yeah. than I do in the summer when I have too many days. Right. Um, so, my process is well, two things. I mean, when I started painting, I bought brushes, I had stretch canvas, and I found that I became so self-conscious of my brush strokes that nothing was happening naturally. Right. There was no, I don't know, Brisson called the decisive moment. There was none of that happening. Right. It was becoming more and more style-driven. Ooh, and I could do sure. that again and whatever. So I stopped working on stretch canvas, I threw away all my brushes, and I only paint with my hands. Really? And what happens there for me is that my hands move faster than my brain. <laughs> and so the game is stay awake, because a lot's going to happen in front of you. Sure. And, uh, and I also feel... There's no way I can control my hand the way I can control a brush. Right. I mean, it does funny things all the time. Sure, right? yeah. And so that's really how I paint. You know, has, has, you know, I have to ask because, like, your work is so, you know, with the Hitler and right. with the darkness and the guns and everything like that. Has this presidency, like, inspired any work that you've done this year, that's you know, this darkness? Funny you asked me that. I... I got a call a few months ago from a friend of mine who was putting a show together on Trump, 
And he said, you know, you're perfect for this, you know, do something, right? I said, you know something, this is very odd. I mean, I could do a, a bad caricature maybe, but it's too big, it's too crazy. As chairman of, uh, you know, the, the MFA program at SVA, right. you know, what advice would you give, you know, a kid that wants to be an artist when they grow up, you know, in whatever medium they choose? Well, the graduate program I run called Illustration as Visual Essay is based in storytelling. And it's, we take figurative artists who want to tell stories. Mm -hmm. So we don't take abstract painters and we don't take performance artists okay. and whatever. What it does is give us a focus that, and again, trying to address the issue of content. So you want to tell a story. Right. Whose story? Sure, yeah. And the point of the program is to give people the courage to tell their story. I mean, uh, I find it really sad that when I grew up, I had a lot of friends. We all reached the age of 12. And only because I could draw a little more accurately was I encouraged to go on. Right. They all stopped taking art classes. Many of them were great storytellers. Sure, <laughs> sure, yeah. And so instead of being encouraged for the right reason, does that make sense? It's like, you have great story, you ought to write right. them down, you ought to paint pictures, you ought to do whatever about them. Uh, they went into insurance. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it says I made many happy, but yeah. anyway. Uh, Paul Thoreau once called you an enchanter and a uh, shamer. Okay. Is there a word that you would use to describe yourself? I, I don't, the, the, those are heavy words. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't. I mean, my guess is, well, let's see. I may have met one shaman in my life. But he would never call himself a shaman. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? I mean, mm -hmm. so it's it's nice when other people say that. Right. Does that make sense? How long have you been at SBA? Fifty-two years. Fifty-two years. Wow. Scary. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> it was never my intent. <laughs> I thought, well, yeah, I could do this. And it's connected to art. It's yeah. better than selling art supplies. Yeah. You know, and whatever. Uh, but in terms of New York, I mean, when you get old, you talk about the old days. So I moved back to New I went to Pratt, got out in 60, went to General Motors, worked for a while, went to Europe, got drafted. Eventually got back to New York in 61. I had an apartment in Brooklyn for $50 a month. Big. That wasn't a little Big apartment. Overlooked the backyard. <laughs> The bathroom was down the hall, but it was shared by only one person on the floor. It was yeah. fine. I mean, and I worked in an art store two days a week. I had plenty of money. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't remember thinking I couldn't go to the movie or right. couldn't buy art supplies. <laughs> but I mean, so that economic, obviously, is radically changed to the point where I don't know how artists live in New York anymore. Everything changes. <laughs> I'm not signing up. <laughs> well, I have taken so much of your time. Oh, so thank you. This has been wonderful. This is great. This is great.
was my interview with Marshall. And I can't wait to go check out the, the work because I definitely want to go see it. Because his work, like just being in his studio was so incredible. Now, when you were in there, did you see some of his work? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what did you think of them? I think they're really interesting. Like they're kind of like to me, I don't know if this is the right artistic term, but, you know, I'm going to take poetic license fake it till you make it that's the whole thing with art man go ahead but like his you know his his animals because he does like a lot of like sacred animals and you know aura paintings and like they're dark but then there's like these flashes of rainbow in them and you know and he he like like i touched some stuff that like his mom made like she used to make these oh, little sheep did like, he let you do it or yeah, did he just walk oh, yeah, around no, touching things that his me. mom made he handed it to me oh this looks nice put that down <laughs> my mom made that and then no, you tell him like, the story because like she would make things like she would make these like little sheep Mm -hmm. and stuff because sheep were her favorite and they were so cute and I thought for a second I was like is he giving me this because like this is really cute what did you do trade for him because I feel like if you did trade for him as he explained like you know with the yeah with, the, with barter, the electrician yeah. sure what well, would I have I'll traded? do a story if you give me a sheep give and, me a sheep <laughs> yeah and I'll do a good story about you if you give me one of the big ones <laughs> Uh -huh. If you gave me the paper mache cow that I touched, I wonder. Because her eyes, like, she had these eyes that were just like, you know how cows have, like, the sweetest eyes? Yes. This cow had the sweetest eyes, too. Hmm. And hamburgers are delicious. Just saying. I'm just saying. We just had a hamburger. I know and it we was did. quite good. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, so, I mean, he was really cool to talk to you, and he was very inspiring, and just the things, like, just talking about his grandmother and being, you know, up in, like, the... the Whole, the haven for mystics and spiritualists was like really cool that sounds very cool mm -hmm. but creepy because you know the ghosts are following everybody to that well, area the thing is now is this place has become kind of like a tourist trap so mm. I didn't get a chance because our interview did was, was really long and I was like I felt bad because like this was like his work time you know so I was like I need to go but I wanted to ask like you know I wonder what his grandmother would have thought of like you know coming up there for ghost tours now like yeah that's you know, kind of a bummer tourists <laughs> ruin everything as we know see I feel like all those like commune type places like whether it be for people with you know special abilities in Marvel Marvel like Dr. Xavier or whatever no not like that <laughs> see I always thought that it would be cool to like live in, in like an art colony mm -hmm. I think that would be neat like I was like man that would be awesome and you know Every time, like, I looked into it, like, when I was younger, not yeah. now, because now, forget it. Like, I want my bed, my apartment. And we I kind of have our own little, anyway. like, we have our own little creative haven in Harlem. Yeah, but we can control it. Every time I looked into one of these things, they were always in the middle of the woods. You were in a cabin. Yeah. There was, like, hardly any electricity. Everybody shared, like, you know, a latrine type of thing. And it was like, mm. I don't want to live in a situation like that. But the idea of it is so awesome. Mm -hmm. to like just like, to be like with li like to really live and immerse yourself with other people that are like minded and creative. Definitely. I think that would be very interesting. Yeah. And I feel anything that you can, you know, get any kind of group that you can get together, whether it be like a spiritualist group or an artistic group or whatever, even if it's cultish. Mm -hmm. Once you get people of like minded together, everyone's going to get better. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, I think that's awesome that this is what, it, you know. Yeah, definitely. And we'll have links to all the show information um, about 
Marshall's opening at the SVA Gallery in Chelsea. Yes. So we'll have all of those links in our show description as per always. Yes. And this was your first time down to the Chelsea Galleries. Well, it wasn't in the Chelsea Galleries. I was in his, his yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah. But I'm staying out like for you, though, like because you were over by Chelsea. Yeah. And I was, you were Oh, the other day, about, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you There's haven't so been many galleries to over there, the yeah. galleries in Chelsea, which is kind of surprising because when the kids were younger, I used to go there all the time and bring them in and out. And then, you know, it's strange to think that you haven't gone to the galleries. Well, yeah, because I'm always like working and whatnot. All right, fair enough. Well, Someone has to make a living. Well, I'm glad you got some culture in you. I know, mm. I know. It doesn't happen often. Well, okay. So should we get to a roly-poly-rorty then? Yes, let's do a roly-poly-rorty. So here we are, roly-poly-rorty. Here we are. And I'm telling you, man, this week, sleep has been non-existent no no you were a zombie you have been a zombie for the last few days yes and i have called my doctor Mm -hmm. at the mayo clinic haven't heard back from him yet Mm. just to see you know like what what is going on now researching it Mm -hmm. i do know that lack of sleep is definitely part of pots you know like people get that a lot and um you know i didn't think anything of it but Jesus, man, we go to bed pretty early. Like I would Do we? say, well, I mean, we're in bed by eleven. We watch TV until like midnight. We watch our stories, our Adult Swim stories. Yeah, but by like twelve thirty, everything is over. You know, because then Bob's Burgers comes and on, and that just ruins and, everything. God, I hate. That's it. when it shits the bed. That's it. And then it usually replays like stuff that we've already seen during, well, that I've already Over seen the during night, the day. Yeah. <laughs> they play it again, you know, early morning. But man, it's been nuts because, like I said, we're in laying down at 11 and the TV goes off at like 1 and then I'm up until 5 30 in the morning. Yeah, that's not healthy. And, and that's with Xanax mm-hmm. and whatever. <laughs> but I mean, seriously. Another accruciable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But there is no sleep, man, and it's driving me nuts. And we're not even going to Brooklyn, so. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And the other crazy thing is when, you know, we were just talking about, you know, the communities that people get into. Right. I'm finding it so much of a challenge to be creative and not have anybody creative around during the day. Like, it's weird. You forget what it's like going into an office and just having, like, everybody is trying to get the sales of what you're promoting. So, I mean, even if the person sitting next to you isn't involved in the actual creative process, they can usually, you know, give you information on the product from a different point that you might not have been thinking of. Right. Because they have a different skill set. Right. Yeah. So being here and not talking to anybody and just getting direction is sometimes, you know, it's an uphill battle because you think you got, you know, these standard things. And just to stay fresh, it's kind of like, who you bouncing idea of, ideas off of. Right. You know? Yeah. I guess that's a downfall of like anyone who like works from home solitarily, you know? Yeah, I would think. But I mean, the good part of that, though, is is that I feel like it's pushing me to be more creative, though, because there is nobody else. 
So now it's just like one voice trying to get this out, you know, until you hand it in and somebody says make changes to it or whatever. But up till that point in time, there's no interference. So as far as like painters and stuff like that, though, man, I get it because these guys, you know, they'll go out, they'll do their paintings. There's nobody in the room with them. Right. Like they're they're bringing something off a blank canvas. Sure. Yeah. They're the only ones who can see. So, you know. It's a bit of a mental Yeah, no, I get it. I totally get it. And I feel like with the lack of sleep that, you know, came from this week, everything was a challenge this week. Everything. I agree. So. See, you, I, can't even st- I can't even stop the yawn. Like, I couldn't stop it. I apologize. Well, once we said tired, you had to jump right I in did. and be like, oh, I'm tired too. Are you Mario Lopez? Are you tired? <laughs> Are you jumping oh right in? Oh, my God. Yes, because I'm <sighs> such a one-upper, Tom. I'm such the one-upper. Oh, my God. Shut your mouth. Whatever. So, but you slept last night, so that was like a nice like recharge the batteries kind of thing. So you probably won't sleep until next week now. But yeah, probably, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> sleep is going to be coming is going to be becoming just like the new going to the bathroom, where it happens once a week. Yeah. Well, it's what it is when you have the surgery and you don't eat anything. I was shocked because I had my first appointment with the bariatric surgeon in months, in right? Months yeah, because it was like a follow up visit that I finally had to go to. Because you're almost a year pa- a year to surgery now. I can't believe that. Yeah. And when I went in to see him, he was like in shock. He had no idea that it was even me because he was just like my god he goes you don't even look the same at all he goes you really look so much different than mm-hmm. you and know did he say you looked better met. he said you look fantastic and then i started explaining pots to him and all everything else that right. was the kidney stones and and he was just like oh man he goes that's crazy and he goes and says look he goes as far as the bariatric surgery itself goes don't change anything he goes and says whatever you're doing keep doing it he goes i don't care if you're having snacks i don't care whatever but the strange things was what the amount of calories I should have a day. Yeah, he said what you should drop down to like nine hundred now. Like, are you even Between eating that? Seven hundred and nine hundred calories for the How rest is that of my healthy? life. But I guess like you're supposed to be eating mostly protein and vegetables, so. which I have been too. Yeah. I mean, you know, because I started going over it in my head, and I'm like, going, man, usually, you know, that's like not a lot. I know, but I'll eat like, I mean, you know, the the worst thing that I eat is a half a bagel during a day. Yeah. And that's with sausage. And that ties you over, egg. yeah. But that's the only thing I eat until dinner time comes around. And then usually whatever we have, I'll eat either the meat, all the meat first. Yeah. And then some of the vegetables. And it's not even a lot anyway. So. No. And you get full very quick because you do have that tiny little tummy now. I know. Mm-hmm. I know. So so that's basically it. Just a general overview of, you know. What's how the haps the week this week? Was. As far, yeah. So, you know, right. as far as that goes, I mean. That's pretty much it. Alrighty then. So let's play the outro music and wrap this show up. So that's this week's show, everybody. Everybody. And it's show number 98. 98. We're getting ever closer to the big 100. That's it crazy i didn't think we were going to make it to 100 episodes when we first started this really no 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 because i figured by now we'd already have come up with some other crazy plan to like get involved in and then not have time for this very very good i mean in those 100 episodes so it's been 101 weeks 
it'll be 101 weeks By the time because we missed one week. And that was to go to the Mayo Clinic. Exactly. And that's crazy to think of that. Like, we, st- I mean, we're very, we're, we're st- we stick with things. You know, we're not like fly-by-nighters. We do. We bitch about it the whole time. Oh, we but do. We do stick we with it. About- like, you know, just to get to the, to the microphones is like, oh, <laughs> God. And learning how to use them every single week, having to relearn. <laughs> with that... <laughs> If you would like to write to us, you can do so by writing to highregardshow at gmail.com. And if you want to learn how to use a microphone, I don't advise you come to our website. But for other things, you could come to our website for us, such as this show and all of our previous shows at highregardshow.com. And you could always find us on social media sharing quips from this show and as well as some behind the scenes craziness that happens in the wee morning hours i was gonna say it depends on the hour that you go to our social media depending on the content that you might find yeah it changes like there's funny stuff sometimes and then there's just crazy shit but you can always find us as high regard show on all social media outlets and that'll do it for us that's a wrap as they say in the biz have a great week everybody bye 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 bye